Hey everyone. Back in October, we had the opportunity to participate in Patreon's Trick or True Crime event, focusing on, you guessed it, true crime. We use this as an opportunity to cover 2002's Dahmer, starring a pre-fame Jeremy Renner. And since the film is celebrating its 20th anniversary, we thought we would release this unheard episode into the wild. If you like what you hear, you may like all of the other bonus content on the Patreon, so head on over to patreon.com slash horrorqueers and sign up today for more than 180 hours of bonus material. Without further ado, here is our special mini-sode episode on Dahmer. You're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter! Right, easy, Geraldo. Hello, true crime fans. I'm Joe Lipsit. And I'm Trace Thurman. And we're the co-hosts of Horror Queers, a horror movie podcast that tackles horror through a queer lens. And we are a part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, but we are also here on Patreon because we like money. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So generally, we tend to tackle a film, a episode, and we just kind of break it down. We give our thoughts and opinions, and it's almost always filtered through either a queer lens or we're looking at the way it has camp potential. But obviously, in terms of true crime, when we're talking about things like, say, Jeffrey Dahmer, um, we're going to try it a little bit more sensitively, I think. Uh, yeah. When we're talking about the real life aspects, I think so. So bear with us. This is going to be a bit of a new avenue for us because a lot of times we do discuss films that are primarily fictitious and we haven't delved much into true crime. But when we were offered this opportunity, we were like, okay, so true crime, what can we make? Like, What's a queer one? Obviously, Dahmer is the first one that came up. And <laughs> we had discussed the 2002 uh, film Dahmer, directed and written by David Jacobson, starring Jeremy Renner exclamation point i know shocking yes yeah well and we have talked about covering this on our main feed for the longest time we just never really slotted it in and neither one of us had seen it so we were like oh we can finally cover that indeed yeah it's a good opportunity and excuse to cross it off the list and folks if you haven't seen dahmer this is a bit of an interesting oddity so mm -hmm. yeah trace as you briefly touched on this does star jeremy renner this is before he became famous so it's because of this film that he was cast in the hurt locker and of course that's his big breakthrough in hollywood mm -hmm. but i think one of the things that i got from dahmer is that you can see the glimpses of what would make him a future star and that's a little surprising to me because i'm not his biggest fan 100 percent, and i know you are not and i know a lot of people who are not i i don't I don't have – I'm very apathetic towards him. Like, I've never found him, like, a really magnetic performer. I have mm -hmm. seen The Hurt Locker, but it was back when it came out. Right. And unfortunately, I haven't really seen him in many, many things that, like, again, screamed, oh, he – Oh, this sounds mean, but he deserves all these parts. <laughs> <laughs> He's a little bit of a blando white guy, but I think that actually works in the film's interest in this case because he is very attractive, obviously. But in this case, it's almost a conventional good looks. Like 
You can see him drawing eyes in a gay bar because he is better looking than average, but not so much that he might stand out in a lineup, say. 100%. And I mean, we'll get to this later, but the film does split timelines. You know, we, mm-hmm. we have half the film taking place when uh, when he's in his like late 20s, 28, 29, uh, like right before his his capture. The other half of the film takes place in 1978 when he is 18 years old. And um, (laughs) they decided to slap some glasses on him and call it a day and said, yeah, he looks 18. Um, (laughs) Indeed. Yeah, we'll give we'll give him a different kind of comb over sort of look. Yep. But you're right, though. Like, he does look like this kind of like cute little boy next door, be it his, you know, not 18 glasses demeanor or his Mm -hmm. quote unquote present day. 28 year old self and i found a lot of nuance like he doesn't really have any showy moments in this movie i don't think but just because he's so quiet he's so reserved but Mm -hmm. i found a lot of nuance in his performance and the film is structured in a way it's almost like a bunch of vignettes but it's also like i saw so many critiques of the film that were like it doesn't really delve too deep into the mind of Dahmer, and I don't disagree with that, but I also don't think it's trying to do that. Yeah, it's almost like a portrait of a very troubled young man at very specific instances in his life. And, you know, in the present day, quote unquote, like later entries, Mm -hmm. he's having this what appears to be amazing first date with a gentleman named Rodney that he picks up in a knife store of all places. Yeah. And... I think we get a lot of his personality, you know, at this point, he's killed, mm, it's got to be over a dozen men. And so we're getting to see his like approach and technique. But also, he does seem to have a connection with this man. And I know for me as a queer person, when I'm watching these movies about monsters, like queer monsters, that's, mm-hmm. that's your and my bread butter, right? Bread and butter trace. Oh, yeah. And There's something really horribly compelling about this idea of a man who, oh man, he preys on his own community and he's doing it in such a nefarious way. But what's compelling about Dahmer the movie is that he doesn't come off as a monster. Like, we don't really know who he is, but he's also not you know cackling with glee and putting men into like boiling cauldrons well well, that's kind of what i wanted to talk to you about too though so i mean like i think uh, an issue that some people have with true crime especially when they're when you're adapting it is that it it, um it sometimes the films or television series or especially miniseries can Mm -hmm. try to humanize humanize empathize with the monster and of course that's that's the issue with true crime sometimes right is that it's always oh it's about the killer the killer the killer yeah never the victims never the victims but that being said i mean despite the fact that Dahmer was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder psychotic personality disorder and schizotypal personality disorder like this is a man who was who is what was gay sorry he is dead we don't get that insight into his childhood life or his teenagers or really we kind of see how his father and his grandmother react to his queerness but it's never in a way that's like oh like he was abused and that's why he became a killer you know this film doesn't try to offer any reasons as to why Dahmer is Dahmer 
Yeah. And in fact, one of the things that really struck me about the film is the way that Dahmer almost weaponizes his queerness. So he Mm -hmm. understands when people are uncomfortable, like in that scene where he is confronted by his father and his grandmother because he has first a mannequin bust of a man Mm -hmm. uh, in his closet. And then later he has a kind of memory box and the father really wants to know what is inside this locked container. But I, I like the idea that Dahmer is a very smart man and he knew how to make his father and his grandmother's discomfort with his sexual orientation yes. so that he could get away with his crimes. So it's it's not that he's a gay killer, although he is. Mm-hmm. It's that he is a killer who happens to be aware of what effect his gayness has on other people. Yes, and that was the thing too. You know, I did a little bit of research in the, in the, to the real life Dahmer. I didn't want to do too much because I really wanted to keep our conversation here focused on the film itself. Right. But he is a man who, he was by all accounts a very intelligent man but mm-hmm. he was always well in high school he was very average and he and his one term of college he was he failed everything because he was an alcoholic like from yeah. since the age of 14 mm-hmm. and you are right though by the time he meets rodney in this movie and rodney is the kind of counterpart of the real life tracy edwards the man who would escape Dahmer's clutches and you know eventually get him caught right Dahmer had killed 17 men or boys by oh. this point yeah it's um I will say I want to give the film credit because it doesn't shy away from some of the horror like we do see Dahmer drill a victim in the head mm-hmm. and we get to see the aftermath of that but the film could have been so much more salacious and really disgusting like we're not seeing the boiling water being poured into the hole we're not seeing the cannibalistic tendencies like we do see a severed head in a box so we're not downplaying the horror but we're keeping it focused so that it's not oh wow look at this torture porn it is implied a lot of it is implied like you know Mm -hmm. the first murder we see which is this drill scene um by the way and so to paint a picture of how the film handles the subject matter because again like Dahmer's crimes were horrific horrific yeah uh, the person that he meets in the store and he buys him shoes and he brings him home. And this is the drill scene. This is the film counterpart of, and I apologize if I'm butchering this name, but it's a Laotian teenager named Konarak Synthasymphone, um, who was a 14-year-old boy that Dahmer yeah. did kill. And the film definitely makes it seem like I think they age him up because this individual looks closer to like a young man. Like he he looks of age. And the film doesn't really address the fact that Dahmer was preying on a lot of underage men. Uh, we do see a number of men of color, which it seems like Dahmer... I don't know if he was exclusively interested in that, but I especially took away the idea that he was preying on members of the community that might be easier to miss. Um, you are not incorrect. And this is really evidenced in the scene when this man escapes. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's essentially been partially lobotomized here. But when he comes across two black women and the cops get there and they treat these women oh my like God. they are yeah. nothing. And so watching mm-hmm. this, I was like, I mean, again, like we're in 2021 right now. And so obviously there's been a lot of talk about race and racial injustice now, like mm-hmm. more, wide, more widespread than ever. And so watching this film from 2002 address that, yeah, yeah. I was kind of, I mean, I was impressed with it, but also it's very sad because it's like, oh my God, like look at how these cops just don't disregard these women completely mm-hmm. when they could have caught this man right now. 
Oh, yeah. And that I think for a lot of people, this interaction is one of the most infamous of Dahmer's mm-hmm. many crimes. You know, he he is conducting some really abhorrent and disgusting and disturbing activities. But this idea that he could have been stopped so much earlier if only people had have listened. And of course, the people that needed to be listened to are from marginalized communities. They're people of color. They're women. And... I mean, I'm not going to say that the film makes these cops absolutely terrible, but, you know, they don't come off great. Okay, but but, so what you were saying, though, about how he weaponizes his homosexuality, he does Mm -hmm. the exact same thing in the scene with the cops. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, honestly, I was a little surprised at because I was kind of like, oh, my God, like, why are you, like, kind of flaunting this? Because I was afraid he was going to get arrested or something, right? Because he was exactly. But it had the opposite effect where they were just more uncomfortable and they were like, oh, we don't want to deal with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah basically like oh he's got sexually explicit pictures not really they're pretty like g-rated all things considered but mm-hmm. um yeah i like that they basically took a couple looks at the photos didn't even bother to check out the apartment where he already had a body <laughs> well um he already had a body but also um because in in the real life scenario like they were looking at these pictures of this boy it was a 14 year old boy that Dahmer mm-hmm. told them was 19 years old and they believed it yeah, because they wanted to get the fuck out of that apartment because they didn't want to have to deal with this mm-hmm. queer man. Yeah. But as a whole, though, this movie, you know, it, it's kind of like, I don't want to say slice of life, but it is kind of a, ooh, forgive the term, but a highlights reel of Domino. Oh, <laughs> because so out of his 17 victims, what this film does is it high, it showcases his first murder from 78. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it showcases his 12th murder, which is the, 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 the driller, and his almost 18th murder which is rodney um and then we get a little bit of a flashback to his home life but honestly i i could have done without the flashbacks i don't know about you yeah i'm interested to hear you say that because before we started recording we had a brief discussion about the other sort of high profile Dahmer film which is my friend Dahmer um and that really showcases who he was as a child and how he grew into the monster that he would eventually become I'm using monster very glibly here because he is a human being uh he's just a very disturbed human being yes yeah I I didn't always love the flashbacks particularly you know it it takes a little while to get accustomed to the fact that they are actually also moving backwards in time so you're starting with the latest flashback and then you're moving all the way back to the point where he commits that first murder and that's the honestly from a basic filmmaking standpoint like i get Mm -hmm. this film had a very low budget it it looks like a very low budget film yes usually you would have like a change in style or Mm. a visual cue or something to tell you hey this is a flashback but not only are we in two different timelines but yes like you said the timelines are moving backwards Mm-hmm. And the only signifier we have is Jeremy Renner wearing glasses, which took me a bit to catch up on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not as strongly cued as it could have been. Like I was reading along with the Wikipedia entry because I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that I wasn't really missing anything because my familiarity with it was kind of surface level. Like, yeah, I know who Delmer is. I know that he killed a bunch of people. I know right. that he did very gross things. And so I was interested to see exactly how the film was going to capture or document that and whether it was going to be as salacious and disgusting as it could have been. And then, yeah, the the flashbacks are interesting, but I do agree with you. I don't think they always work. 
I think in part it's because we want to end the film on a certain place. So it's like we're ending with the first murder and the last murder just so that we can juxtapose, you know, what has the journey wrought? How has he changed? Who is he as an individual? Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a bit of a like a poetic symmetry to that. But I think the project of getting to that point didn't always satisfy well that, i think that's my thing is like after after finishing the film and kind of sitting with it i was like oh the flashbacks really just feel like hey we need a reason to show the first murder so we have to get yeah. there mm-hmm. or or it's like hey we got bruce davison let's use him oh my um, god yes always welcome always welcome which by all means and of course even the scene with the lockbox i mean like it's it's a tense interesting scene of course Mm. when you see that there's a head in that box it's like oh shit oh shit (laughs) i probably said oh shit a couple times in in this movie i mean this is a movie and you know we talked about how it doesn't really get it it displays the disturbing aspects without being like very exploitative but this is also Mm -hmm. a, a film that has a montage of him drugging and raping men Oh, boy, I was not prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really the film's only proper use of montage, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, oh, boy, I, I think, again, you know, it's filmed in a mostly tasteful way, if we can say that, about yeah. sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there is a recognition that he's doing this to multiple men because we are seeing their unconscious faces and we're... We're seeing thrusting motions, but we're not seeing, you know, sexually explicit anything. Um, I think one of the issues that I would have as a person who appreciates true crime is that there's a lot of pleasure to be had in this. Like, there is a certain amount of sexiness to some of how Jeremy Renner is playing the character. And he's very obviously deriving sexual enjoyment and gratification from these scenes. and. I get that it's supposed to be uncomfortable because we know what he's doing, but it also comes off as slightly lecherous to me. Yeah, I got, um, and this may be weird to say, but I got a porn vibe from a lot of these sequences. Not not really the rape sequences per se, but like the scenes where he's going to pick up men i mean like it, mm-hmm. a lot of them and it, I, because it, it's shot like really grainy it, it looks like it's on the cheap like it oh it, you're like oh this is an actual porn like i have it, seen this porn hey buddy let me buy you shoes very much like it, honestly all of these pickups felt like the the setup for a gay porn film that i've seen before i mean right. I, I'm not a specific one just like you know insert no, gay porn name them, film here. name them i want to yeah. hear them <laughs> <laughs> no but, I, but it, and I don't know if that was intentional but i agree but i mean you know outside of the rape scene we have the scene where he i mean we have the corpse of this man that he drilled the hole into. And I mean, yeah. we don't see the sex, but we see the foreplay leading up to the sex. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there's, there's something to be said, you know, like we have watched a lot of disturbing films, both for the podcast, as well as just because we are general horror films and sometimes we are exposed to really nasty shit like we have talked about the movie dead girl uh which involves the the sexual assault of a dead corpse yeah Mm -hmm. who is not in fact dead that's a whole other podcast um there's a weird intimacy to some of those scenes right like i i read uh, a little bit about Dahmer and he ha- apparently had a fixation with men's chests. So yeah. we see a number of sequences in this film where, you know, he strokes the chest, he puts his head down to to feel the heartbeat. And I think that that goes to show that 
Dahmer, the film, has done the homework. Like they're trying to make sure that they're touching off on some of these key things that people who are familiar with the real life tragedy would know. But there's also, I don't know, like I can understand why some of the critics of this film did say that it tried to humanize or make us empathize with him as an individual too much. I I do understand that. And I still there was never a point watching this movie where I was like, this man is not Jeffrey Dahmer. He is not a monster. Like I I was Mm -hmm. always thinking like he is a serial killer. He's a psychopath. Okay. it's in that scene with him and Rodney where they are just talking. And yeah. a lot of this film, it really felt like a stage play brought to life. You know, we have the vignette atmosphere. Okay. It's also it's also a lot of just people talking. Mm-hmm. And I understand the critique of, oh, it is humanizing this person too much. It's empathizing with this person too much. But right. at the same time, I'm kind of like, yeah, but again, we don't we there's no way for us to really know the exact conversation that happened between Dahmer and Tracy Edwards slash Rodney. Mm-hmm. But I I didn't really think that this was humanizing him so much as it was just giving us a window into his life. Um, I, hmm. I I don't know. It's it's tricky, you know, because w- oh, yeah. w- what do you think the intent behind this film was? Oh, my God. <laughs> what a loaded question, sir. No, no I, I don't even expect you to have an answer per se. But, you know, what is the goal of any film book tv show that that that, that takes a real life tragedy i mean Mm. obviously money is probably a factor but it's like i don't know i I didn't feel like that the the writer director behind this was like oh yeah let's let's do Dahmer. it felt i'm not gonna say carefully put together but it didn't feel bad to me for the most part right well, I know that David Jacobson, who is the writer-director of the film, mm-hmm. really struggled to get the finances to make this movie. So even though it's a low-budget film, you could see that in the film stock and, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that it doesn't have a lot of locations. You're right, it does often feel like a stage play. And I think part of that is a budgetary constraint. But I read that Jacobson actually had to kind of shop this around as, hey, this isn't going to be a gross thing. like. Because apparently a number of folks heard the word Dahmer and said, absolutely not. How could you? But I don't think the film is looking. I mean, obviously, yeah, it's looking to make its money back. It's maybe looking to elevate Jacobson. It certainly helped Renner in terms of his career. Mm -hmm. But I don't get the impression the way that the film is shot and the way the narrative develops that they are looking to say, well, here's the real Dahmer that people don't understand or know. Like, you know, he he was a child who was abused or he was an alcoholic or he was diagnosed with various things. I think you're right when you said vignettes, because it's very much just how does this serial killer work? How did he progress? And I think that's why the scenes with Rodney work so well for me, because I found myself actually getting lulled into this false sense where I thought, these two are cute together and I want this to work out for them. Oh, yeah. fuck. This is going to end in murder if something doesn't change. Well, and as someone who didn't, re- I, like you said, like, like we both said, I didn't do a lot of research in Adama, so I didn't know really how the situation with Rodney was going to play out. I didn't know he was right. going to be this Tracy Edwards um, doppelganger. It could have gone either way, right? It could have gone either way. But yeah, and I, I 
because you're right you know the financiers didn't want to come into this because they were like oh the content is too graphic but again mm-hmm. like w- look at how we have described this film right we have said oh like there's a montage of rape uh he he almost has sex with the corpse but like we're saying this stuff but mm-hmm. the se- whatever listeners whatever you're imagining in your head from us it's saying not an this, x-rated movie it is nowhere near what this film shows this film does show things but it, a lot of what the, the 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 horrific content i'm sorry the the extra horrific content right. um is implied yeah. uh but also i mean and t- tell me if this is in poor taste okay if we had a play version so he mm. killed 17 people and then the 18th of his would of his would-be victims got away and got him caught if it was literally just vignettes of each of the 17 victims and like his meeting them and leading up to him strangling them because most of the time he strangled them before he did anything to them right no i i could see something like that and the the reality is is you know when you described that i thought oh well they made a stage version of american psycho and how is that that much different (laughs) from this apart from the fact that we have a true crime connection right like these are real events these are real people Dahmer makes the wise decision to change some of the names out of reverence and sympathy for the real victims. Mm. But the, you know, in terms of graphic violence and taste levels, this isn't, this is far more tasteful than a lot of the things that we're watching on the regular. Yes. And your mileage may vary, you know, like the fact that this is a true story. And yes, they change the names, but it is very clear who their real life counterparts are. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to be a, a wizard to figure out who these people are meant to be. Yeah. So I, I can see someone watching this. I mean, like, you know, I have no way to step into the shoes of the families of the victims and be like, oh, if I watch this, how would I feel? You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, just in case you happen to be one of those people, I would not advocate for that. This would be horribly upsetting. Yeah, yeah. But but that being said, though, I mean, I I did like this movie quite a bit. I don't think it's yeah. fantastic. You know, I, I don't think it's like the piece on Dahmer. But I mean, like, what <laughs> what what is that going to be? You know, but I I was really impressed with this. And I was I mean, I know it's an indie film from 2002. But the fact that it was 2002 and it had this much queer content, granted, mm-hmm. murderous gross yeah. queer content but queer content nonetheless like i i was pleasantly surprised by that if there's any better way to put it yeah yeah so listeners we definitely had a text chain going on as i was kind of wrapping up the film and you were like getting into the mm-hmm. last act just about how frank the film is about male desire and queerness like and that is a rarity it's not as rare when we're talking about independent film because sometimes that can be used as a selling feature you know i'm trying to get into a queer film festival i need to zhuzh up the male torsos so that uh (laughs) horny men will come and support the film again i wouldn't quite say that it's doing that but it is to a certain extent a frank and honest portrayal like the gay bar scenes looked authentic to me mm-hmm. uh the cruising looked authentic to me so the bathhouse like the bathhouse I, yeah it, yeah and i at the risk of like putting too much praise on renner like i this is a straight actor really kind of getting a start in the business and choosing a role like this and granted of mm-hmm. course like let's say it was just a gay man okay so killer and wasn't Dahmer. like I, maybe it wouldn't seem like as big of a get for him but it's maybe I, I, i'm not saying he's like stunning and brave for taking on this role but like <laughs> no we don't do that sorry <laughs> <laughs> but no but like i mean honestly i was impressed like with renner doing this i thought he yeah. really committed to this role i liked a lot of his little subtle nuances his body language like mm-hmm. i thought he and granted without knowing what Dahmer's actual body language and whatever was like i i believe this man was Dahmer. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I didn't doubt that this was a queer man that I was watching on yeah. screen. And I would say maybe just to close this out, uh, folks, if you haven't checked it out, we are both endorsing the film. It's worth your time. It's worth mm-hmm. your energy. Yeah, it's not going to blow your socks off or anything. But in terms of giving you a little bit of that slice of life feeling, it will do that, but not in a horribly offensive way. And then if you're looking for maybe just a little bit more Dahmer, uh, it would also make a good double feature with my friend Dahmer, who, which is going to cover some of those early parts of the killer's life. Yes, I would recommend I, I, Random thought, too. So I don't know. I saw my friend Dahmer at a film festival, and I remember a lot of discourse at the time because it's based on a graphic novel. It and is, yeah. it's very much it's just about his teenage years. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's not really a spoiler to say this if you know the story, but like the, the film ends with him about to pick up the first man he's going to murder in 1978. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember a lot of people were really upset that it wasn't like, oh, I we didn't get to see Dahmer kill anyone. Like it's oh just God. about his teenage years. <laughs> and I was like, well, did you did you not did you read the log line for the movie? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> Dahmer didn't kill anyone until he was eighteen. <laughs> and even yeah. then, like th- that was his first murder. He didn't kill again for another like ten years. Yeah, there's something to be said. You know, it's funny because we're talking about true crime fans. We're talking about horror fans. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's something to be said, again, I think when we're meeting that intersection where I don't know that I always want the murder in my true crime. Whereas if we're just Mm -hmm. talking about a straightforward horror film, I'm far more comfortable with it. Right. There's something about, oh, like, yeah, I'm watching this this fake character grow up and become a serial killer to, oh, I'm watching this portrayal of a real life serial killer grow Mm -hmm. up and become a serial killer. Yeah, there's something about that that just doesn't sit quite as well with me. But I would be actually very interested to hear from true crime fans, because I know that we are dipped a little bit more into the horror waters, like we have covered some other true crime content in our episodes. So we've, yeah, uh, this is the most true crime that we do. But we have done episodes on Joyride, which addresses in part Matthew Shepard. We've talked about Silence of the Lambs. We plan to do Heavenly Creatures at some point. Oh, yeah. But I would be curious to hear from true crime fans who are maybe listening to us for the first time. How is your relationship with horror? And are you... I don't know. Do you have that bloodlust? Are you eager to see some of the violence? Or is it more about the methodical nature of how killers, you know, plan out the murders as opposed to the actual execution? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question, too. And I think also, like, I mean, as horror fans, you know, we, we say this all the time, but like, we're often seen as the bastard redheaded stepchildren of the film fan universe or, or, or <laughs> the horror, gen- horror genre in general is that right. And so yeah. when we are making this crossover into the Venn diagram with true crime and horror, it's like, OK, like now it's it's real now so it's like okay like what what disturbs you <laughs> yeah yeah so uh folks i hope that you enjoyed this kind of taster mini sode of horror queers if you do want to check us out as we mentioned we have uh, main feed episodes that come out every wednesday on the bloody disgusting podcast network you can get those any old way that you mm-hmm. like to get your podcasts and trace if they want to maybe support us on patreon how might they do so they can go to patreon.com slash horrorqueers or if you just want to follow us on social media and see if we talk about any movies you like um i mean just follow us anywhere twitter and instagram facebook at horrorqueers indeed yeah and uh yeah so uh, i hope you all enjoyed this little halloween true crime treat but um until well i guess we do this again we can cross <laughs> out dumber indeed and cross out horrorqueers queers.